Have you ever been in a combat situation? Define combat, sir. Chat? An incursion underwater to retake an impregnable fortress held by an elite team of U.S. Marines in possession of 81 hostages and 15 guided rockets armed with VX poisoned gas. Well, in that case, no, sir. Excuse me. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait. You haven't seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 231 and it is the final week of Cagepalooza 2023. And here to join me for this because he had never seen the movie The Rock before. It's Alex Albisu. Alex. Hello. Hi, uh, I'm back here uh, talking to you on the internet about another movie that I haven't seen, which is many of them. But in this case, it is not Dwayne Johnson. This is a different <laughs> movie. I was very confused. I watched about 10 films <laughs> featuring Dwayne Johnson. I text Travis. I'm like, this is way too many. He, I don't know how I'm going to watch The Rock. And he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's this, this movie. I was, oh, Nick Cage, that makes sense. Okay, so here we are. And, uh, and I watched it last night. We're going to talk about yeah. that. Okay. Me. So, so first question with, with 1996's the rock, how is it that you just never saw it? Like, what, <sighs> you did know, it, I mean, okay. First question would have been, you probably weren't old enough to see it in theaters. It is an R rated movie. 1996. You wouldn't have been old enough to see it. I'm pretty sure. Cause you're a few years younger than me. Um, but you just never like, accidentally backed into it you didn't have a friend who had like the the dvd this was an early uh dvd and actually it's on the criterion collection now um, oh oh yeah that's like that's like a big um deal. yeah yeah uh it's a it's it's an early michael bay film which we'll talk about but was it just one that like you ne never came up or or what? no like it's it's a movie um you know travis i'm a very busy man Okay, I have, <laughs> I'm a very busy man. I'm a very picky man when it comes to my movies. Um, I, I just so happened to see, uh, 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 let me think, the Trolls movie in theaters. Um, you know, back. <laughs> you know, I I, it seems I prioritized that over this masterpiece of a Michael Bay film. Um, it's a movie that just frankly I'd never gotten around to seeing. Um, I, I really like Nick Cage movies. I, I think his. Uh, delivery in this um he doesn't go full on nick cage or anything but it's very fun and uh i i was definitely uh in, in looking back at you know the the 90s and everything kind of flowing up to this point of nick cage michael bay and everything that kind of flowed from that and i was like this is such a movie that i should have seen so long ago and would have loved and i just never got around to it and i, and I was bummed that i never got to see it uh, up until now but hey you know what better late than never i'm happy yeah. i saw it so thanks for making me watch it absolutely this was one that i actually didn't see it in the theater for some reason in 1996 i probably went and saw independence day three times and skipped this one for some dumb reason or either that or 96 i wouldn't have had a driver's license yet so i would have had to get rides um and most of my friends didn't quite yet we were like right at the cusp of that. So there's a lot of like our parents not wanting to look, take us to an R rated film, uh, would happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, but this was, this was one I saw not long after, um, the, the theatrical run 
And then this really kicked off like a, a moment for Nick Cage where he was in uh, action films. Like, so he had, he was coming off of uh, leaving Las Vegas where he won his Oscar. So 1995, he wins an Oscar for that. He does this movie. And I think partially because some people were saying like he couldn't really do action movies because it wasn't really his style. Like he's too quirky for that. And so I I, I feel like because you have to think about what his uh, career had been like leading up to this. He had done movies like Trapped in Paradise, Guarding Tess. That's weird to think about, though. Gosh, he had so many good he's had over his career so many good action flicks. And the point Mm -hmm. of his greatness action flicks is, in fact, the quirkiness uh, that you know, like, one of the things that like immediately when you said that was like kick ass, I remember seeing that movie, yeah. uh, his portrayal, like that was great. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, and also just the way he voices, uh, spider, what is it? Spider noir and, in, and in, into the spider verse or like whatever. Yep. He, yep. That was great delivery. Very Nick cage. Awesome for action. And you know, uh, whatever it, it was very good. I, I, it's funny to hear that now. Yeah. And like, so he does leaving Las Vegas. He immediately, his next few movies are the rock con air face off city of angels and snake eyes. So like four of the five of those are action movies. He's leading them. He did that in the span of three years. He made those. It's, it's, it's crazy because you look at some, like there's times where he's got a bunch of movies, but they're, they're like lower budget and, Mm. Sometimes it's a cameo role or a small role in it. These are movies like this movie was not quick to shoot a movie with effects budget like this, followed up by another Jerry Bruckheimer uh, produced action film in the in Con Air, followed by a John Woo movie. Like these are all movies that take a long time to do. And the guy just likes to work. And, you know, this was him just really kind of showing like, you know what? Yes, I can do action movies and here you go. And he's made a career out of like, you could look at just his career of action movies and there's so much to them, so let alone many. any comedies or dramas that he does. And, and by the uh, way, at that early in his career, imagine, imagine getting the news that, yeah, you're going to, you're going to star next to um, Sean Connery. It's like freaking yeah. James Bond. And, uh, um, uh, he played the, the Marine general on the Island. Ed Harris. Ed Harris, like you're, that's who you're acting opposite, you know, Mm -hmm. Ed Harris towards the end. But that was, that's got to be a little bit of, uh, I don't know. Do you get stage fright if you're Nick Cage at at that age? You know, I don't know. It's hard to say. There was a, one of the trivia bits I read. So take it with a grain of salt was that Mm -hmm. Connery signed up because he heard that Cage was doing this movie. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Um, I do know that Sean Connery, did help executive produce the film um, because there was a story of Michael Bay. Now this was Michael Bay's second feature film. Okay. He had been a music video director. He was of that, that same kind of era and class of David Fincher um, Mm -hmm. and those guys, uh, uh, Tony Scott, Russell Mulcahy, where they were doing music videos and then they transitioned into films. And so Michael Bay's first film was bad boys. And the next year he makes this. Really? That was so, his first movie? That was his first movie. I, I never <laughs> realized that. Yeah. Dude. It, it's, 
I mean, he, he hit the ground running. Like he, he hit yeah. the ground, you know, he, he works with Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, um, and, uh, produ- as producers. And he just he immediately gets big budget action thing, but he does this. This for me is one of my two favorite Michael Bay films, this one and the Island with Ewan McGregor mm-hmm. and Scarlett Johansson. If you haven't seen the Island, I highly recommend it. It is a great action movie. Um, I have seen that. Yeah. And the thing I like, the thing with The Rock for me is it is every 90s cheese ball action movie. Uh, right. You know, it is your Con Airs, your Armageddons. It's all of that, that Michael Bay, Tony Scott action movie of the 90s, all distilled into one movie. But what makes this one kind of rise above some of those and be a little bit more memorable is that cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of those movies would have one or two people in them, or you might get a few as you go along. This one hits that upper echelon of Sean Connery, Nicholas Cage. Like you mentioned, Ed Harris, you've got David Morse is um, the uh, second in command to Ed Harris. Um, and mm-hmm. he's an actor that I love to see and stuff. You got Candyman in there, Tony Todd showing up who basically does nothing until an hour and 45 minutes in. And then he gets to be one of the yeah. big bad guys at the end. Um, he was great. Along I, loved, with, I loved his little bit. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the actor who plays Dr. Fox in, in Scrubs. What was John his name? C. McGinley. Yes. So when he showed, dude, I, I, I can spot that man's jaw from a mile away. Oh. He's got like a very specific lip structure and the way he talks and the way his teeth show through his, his, his it's, uh, conversation and, and silhouette. You could see. Yeah. I, I remember that very first scene. Uh, I had one of those Leonardo DiCaprio moments, you know, the meme. Where <laughs> yep, and I was, at the screen, I was yep. like, oh, Cox. I was like, wait, was it? And I, I was about to text you, but I'm like, no, 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 hold on. I'm taking, I'm taking notes for this, for this. No, no, I can't do that. And he kept showing up. I was like, oh yeah, Dr. Cox, look how young he was. And they, and you're right. They had all these different people that kept coming up and you're like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. It was nuts. Yeah. And like, he is one that, when I I had seen him in like this and in seven and a couple of other movies, and there was this period of time in the nineties where he was just showing up as like a supporting actor in action movies, playing like a tough nose, like SWAT guy or Marine or yeah. something. And so then when Scrubs came out and I see him as Dr. Cox, I'm like, Oh, this dude is funny. Like he is yeah. just laugh out loud. Hilarious. Um, and I, I just, I never would have guessed it. If if you'd only shown me him in like seven and this movie, I would have you never. Um, but he, like, he's great in there. You've got the FBI director. Womack is John Spencer, who is an actor that I loved whenever he would show up and stuff. Um, yeah, and, that was, so when did he die? Oh, uh, it was just a couple of years ago. I think I want to say, but uh, you know, it was probably longer ago than I'm thinking because yeah. that's just how that goes. Yeah, his um, um well are you talking about the FBI director the guy who uh he was in the West Wing? Yes. Yeah, he died he died 2005. Back, so yeah. Sure. Because I was trying to think ago. of like okay, did this come out around like just before he died? Um I I couldn't I couldn't remember, but it was nice to see him in this movie because he's a brilliant actor. Love him in the West Wing. Um but he definitely is typecast. I was like, oh, yeah. oh it's the freaking uh, chief of staff. Uh, he's, oh, no, actually, he's playing FBI director in a big <laughs> office in D.C. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, so I just exactly. thought that was kind of funny. That a lot of these guys are type guy. Ed Harris, you know, same thing, right? Like uh, Ed Sean Harris, Con, similar sort uh, of deal. Ed, Ed Harris is so good in this, and he is very good. What I love about it is like there was some of the trivia, some of the stuff that I've read about this movie over the years is that he was he questioned a little bit kind of motivations for the character and he wasn't sure about his performance. He wasn't sure about the character. But I look back at this and part of what makes this movie work so well is performances like his because they don't uh, dive into the character all that much. Right. Like we don't get a we get backstory. We hear about who he was and in his career, but we don't spend a lot of time with him other than like him giving orders. Right. But the performance tells you so much about who this character is, who the, who this general Hummel is. And I think that's the type of thing that when you cast somebody like Ed Harris, you get that it's, it's the, it's all the performance he can do without saying a word that gives that character depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the whole plot oh, yeah. at the end where he was like, "No, of course we can't do that," because you know you don't you don't ever really want to put I don't know like service men and women in in a in who are fighting for something very specific and in this case a very valiant thing that they're trying to you know make a point about want mm-hmm. to see them use weapons of mass destruction in a certain way, which was very timely for the time, by the way, weapons of mass destruction in the '90s leading up to 9/11 and all that. I thought that was an interesting kind of mm-hmm. just going back to the times of like what was the 90s like oh yeah you know you have bosnia and, and desert storm and all that and knowing my father-in-law who uh marine corps uh colonel veteran of of all those wars uh you know like i, I was watching it and seeing kind of the point of no we're doing this like for the for for everybody that you know wasn't getting what's what was theirs and the sacrifices and everything and that no we can't you know at the end of the day we're not going to do it i I thought it was a very it it felt like a very um hello bella i heard that uh it felt like a very kind of like nice um way to still like show that they were like honoring like these people and like acknowledging that that was like a really really hard time to be in the military back then and and uh, for, for a variety of reasons. So it was a very interesting, um, it, it was very interesting kind of almost go back in time to seeing what life was like for servicemen and women back then. Yeah. And it, it, it gives depth to his character because he has honorable intentions, but he's been pushed to the point of doing something or at least threatening to do something utterly horrific in order yeah. to get his point across. And it's, it's sort of um, in a way you could you could almost look at this like uh, if you looked at it through the lens of something like John Wick, where John Wick had gotten mm-hmm. out of whatever that life was that he was in and then losing his wife and subsequently losing the, the dog is what pushed him to do crazy stuff because of her. Hummel is like that. Like he he had this in him, but as long as his wife was around, she kept him in check. For and sure. So that opening scene for him to be at her grave and just be like, look, you know that I've tried everything. You're not here now. I got to do this. And like, yeah, it's that it's that. And then the bluff at the end that he's not a dishonorable man. He just was pushed to a point where and and then on top of that, he gets himself in bed with. Yeah. And then he gets himself in bed with some mercenaries who yeah. aren't they haven't reached those higher levels ranking in the military and. So they're a little more susceptible to like just going for the money and that's all they, that's all they care about. 
and he made yeah. the mistake of hiring them because desperate times you, you, you don't really have a choice. Yeah. He'd put himself in that position and then you bring in those guys and all hell breaks loose. Um, Pretty and crazy. It's, it is. And, and then you mirror that with what the FBI and the military are doing, which is they don't have any choice. They've got to go after uh, and use this guy that has been in prison for 30 years mm -hmm. uh, with, without trial that no one knows about. Um, and that's where you bring in Connery as John Mason, basically James Bond. Like he's pretty much, in fact, someone had done the math and like, I remember when this movie came out, my friends and I making that comment, like, so he's basically just James Bond. Right. And then nothing, not hearing anything about it for like 15 years. And in the last, 10 years or so i've heard a bunch of people saying like oh yeah the rock is just another james bond movie like yeah i know that's not new we've been saying that for for yeah. two decades like it, and by the way i weren't like, subtle i i i like the headcanon that i built that it is actually a james bond movie and in fact what we saw was not mason it was bond doing all those things I like to believe that. I don't know about you folks at home. I personally uh, choose it. But, you know, the, the other thing that really caught me with this movie when he came in uh, to when when we were introduced to Mason and we see Nick Cage enter the room and that initial interaction, uh, instant chemistry. They had mm -hmm. instant chemistry. And I thought that that was so well done the way that they introduced the two and immediately created a. Uh, this obvious sense of disparity in like their experience immediately. Oh, yeah. And I thought that that was very well done. Not in a way that like threw Nick Cage under the bus in a very um, overt manner. It was, it was all just so, so well done. I, I thought that that was very well written and very well shot and the whole bit with the, with the quarter and watching him bash that in and trying to, um, break in through that mirror. I thought that whole that whole scene was some of my favorite in that in that movie. I really liked that. Yeah, all the early stuff with Sean Connery. What's great about it is, like, first of all, with the long hair and the scraggly beard, he just looks like a badass. Like, he looks mm -hmm. like that guy that has just old man strength, right? Like, oh yeah, he doesn't yeah. look physically imposing, but if he hits you, it's like being hit by concrete. And mm -hmm. on top of that. So, so he's got that and his demeanor pretty much from the time he's introduced until he gets, he finishes the haircut on the balcony. His demeanor is very like gruff and angry. And it's almost like getting the haircut kind of lightened him up a little bit. And we see a little more of the heroic side of, of the, see James Bond of the character. All of a sudden. Yeah. We, How, yeah. You know, it was Bond. This is what I'm saying. And, and I just love that because like, it's a, it's such a good character going through the movie and you're right they have that that disparity of experience between the two of them but what's cool about it is cage's character of stanley goodspeed is really good at what he does yeah so when they're when they're when um they get to the point where they're disarming those rockets like mason you know he's holding that that string of pearls the all the vx gas like things and he goes to move it and when when and goodspeed is not afraid to like slap at him and just be like do not move that Right. He, he immediately stops because he yeah. realizes this guy knows what he's talking about. There was just something, there was a great kind of camaraderie between the two of them that you can only Loved really it. get from throwing two people into a situation like that. And you're forced kind of to, to figure that yeah. out. Yeah. 
it was just, it was a genuine highlight for me of the movie watching the two of them perform together and I, I wasn't really sure what to expect when i heard when not when i heard but like when i remembered like who all was in this movie and like what that uh, you had to really think about this dynamic of oh you've got a young nick cage by the way he looks 12 in this movie with like um with a widow's peak um it's it's really weird he he looks like such a baby he looks so different back in the 90s like you forget about because you you see him now versus what he looked like back then very mm-hmm. different um uh but yeah a 12 a 12 year old with a widow's peak anyway um <laughs> yeah his hairline and, was receding uh, from like the start of his career so oh brother i mean tell me about it I'm just <laughs> with it too. uh so but his um but I didn't expect that Sean Connery and him would have it would it was so natural. It was just like really good throughout the entire thing. And also seeing the juxtaposition of Nick Cage starting, you know, his character Goodspeed. Yeah, Goodspeed starting a a, a family, having mm-hmm. a, a a fiance and um kind of seeing this future, you know, potent, you know, of like, hey, this is a man who has a daughter and uh you know that's all he has left and there's some that seeing that little moment of okay there's there's some relatability between the two of us um as well i thought that whole experience was was great in the movie yeah yep and you see like i think too some of that naturalness comes from uh they did a lot of work rewriting and touching up the script and ad-libbing some stuff on set too like I, I, Nick Cage is, is kind of famous for doing that anyway. He does a lot of ad libs and he does a lot of sort of, well, this is what my character would do. And, and I think that Connery punched up some of his dialogue and it worked. It made things sound better between the two of them and their dialogue with other people. It didn't sound like they were reading lines. It sounded natural in, in that way. And Cage made the decision to have his character not swear, which is, really funny in a movie in an r-rated movie because yeah like again it's a it's it's such a weird thing to think about like nicholas cage would drop f-bombs in all sorts of movies prior to this yeah. and after it but for whatever for reason he felt like yeah and but but this character of stanley goodspeed was one who didn't do that so it was a lot of gosh gee whiz friggin uh well while everyone else know- around him is dropping f-bombs left and right that's the funny thing about how I watched it, Travis. I watched it on Hulu live TV or whatever. So okay. it was it was uh, edited to be able to be played on FX. So there was a whole lot of frickin' and uh, they used the S word, but they but it was a lot of like dubbing. Um, one of my favorite <laughs> parts where I noticed that that happened was the trolley bit where the dude's like, oh, hey, yeah. Oh, trolley by the way he was holding the little thing and i'm sitting there taking notes and i catch a glimpse of it and i'm like laughing like why is he holding a sausage i thought i don't know what was going through my head i'm holding the lever i was like why is he having sausage in his hand oh no it's he's the trolley driver anyway i was uh i was i was watching that whole bit and then at the end where he's just irate and you see him lipping the whole word but he's saying Mm -hmm. something completely different Oh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Cuz this is definitely one like this this earned its R rating, not just for oh, yeah. you know the, oh, the, the gun the gun violence and everything, but yeah. it's and it and and so for for 
the character of Stanley Goodspeed to be like the only one until the very end. He doesn't drop a single F bomb. He finally does when he, uh, when he takes out the final captain, captain, um, fry, what, what, a, the dude with the, the big chin and the underbite that he, he puts the capsule oh, yeah, in and that. like punches oh, him in the face. Was that the, the, by the way, um, speaking of R rated and, and some of this, like the, level of gore in and just brutality uh the gratuitous violence awesome really good like like very typical 90s uh michael bay it felt felt very michael bay uh yeah it's that's that moment was great yeah that's part of i think what made like 90s michael bay movies it was this it was bad boys it was uh the 90s action movies weren't afraid to be r-rated they didn't all have to be PG-13. And I feel like late 90s into the early 2000s, there was a seismic shift where the studios were afraid to do R-rated. Yeah, And so they moved everything to PG-13. What we would get is the occasional R, but it took until you know another 10 years later, 15 years later, where like R-rated became more mainstream. And I don't think every movie needs that. I don't think every movie needs a gratuitous uh right. even every action movie but it's nice to see that in there because it's a different type of storytelling uh something like this or con air i feel like needs to be r-rated whereas gone in 60 seconds or um a lot of superhero fare can go pg-13 and be just fine but like obviously there's some stuff that just works better when you can when you can go that route when you can go to those places and something like the rock because of the nature of like the story that they're trying to tell, which is this is a general who's at the end of his rope and he's doing whatever he can. And he's getting brutal mercenary soldiers to right. go that route. I think just works better. So the, the, uh, the practical effects and that being a means to what probably like what a lot of those nineties action movies were with the practical effects, mm-hmm. practical explosions, uh prosthetic makeups and how they show uh certain gory scenes like yeah the guy getting you know the thing pushing his mouth chomping down on it and dealing with all that the other the other thing that really stood out to me was the boils at the very beginning like when the dude gets trapped in the in the room and watching all that just naturally kind of pussing up from the skin like you could tell they probably had some kind of a prosthetic that started to just kind of pump air or something into these like little sockets uh me as somebody who understands practical effects sees that but back in the 90s like that was that was groundbreaking and and still is in a lot of ways it it holds up here we are uh gosh how many almost almost 30 years later um it's it's very impressive yeah yeah when if your cg can't look photorealistic and help extend practical effects it's going to age poorly and that was what we saw in a lot of mid to late 90s stuff that relied too heavily on cg and a lot of the mid 2000s stuff that would rely too heavily on it what we saw you know obviously there's been the renaissance of like practical effects and then using computers to extend and um and amplify those things um Mm -hmm. and and it works so much better but you still have to have a good base that's why you know, it's why movies like The Thing 
can last so long. In 1982, it's 40, over 40 years old, and it still looks great because Rob Botton did so much practical work on that. Um, yeah. And there's, it's, there's something to be said for a thing that's physically in the space when you photograph it, even if you then augment that later. Uh, that's where yeah. like the, you know, the newer trilogy of Star Wars films really did a great job with that because they took a lot of those practical effects and just added to them instead of yeah. doing everything in the computer. And well, you, you see that with the uh, what's the what was it called the volume and you hear all the actors yeah. that are in the volume talking about how what it's like working in those conditions. And they say it is truly like what you said, it's it's truly a difference when you can see um, even mm -hmm. if it's a slightly distorted kind of image on the back screen of the wall that you're, you know, facing sure. and, you know, but the nat but, but what it creates is natural lighting. It creates mm -hmm. a much more immersive experience. And then you actually feel like you're in the world. So you can kind of add that to whatever you're experiencing or trying to portray as an actor in that moment. I think that that is such a cool, um, thing that happened you know throughout i mean 20 30 years especially like you saw that uh starting in the 70s and especially through the 90s and then to your point like in the 2000s and stuff it kind of uh it kind of dropped off but i, I love the fact that it's back i love it i do too because look computers can do a lot of great stuff and i've seen some amazing effects work and vfx artists should be paid a hell of a lot more than they are given more time to do what they what they do that's part of it too when you have too quick a turnaround times I mean, if you rush anything, it's going to be done poorly, but right. there's something to be said for where are you going to put the time and effort in? Are you going to put it in on set with something like uh, rigging up squibs like they had to do in this movie? And so you see the, you know, the actual like particulate and blood coming out, or is that something you're going to do later on? There's too many times I've seen really poorly done like CG blood for an action movie. And it's like, well, you can tell they just, didn't want to do that on the set because they wanted it was too it was going to take too long. Take and, a bottle of ketchup, go. Yeah, all exactly. Over. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like this, you could. Michael Bay is one too that he is very much about visuals. Whether it's yeah. Transformers stuff, even stuff like Transformers, he was still doing so much practical. Um, I remember seeing the behind the scenes from the first Transformers film where there's that shot in the movie where one of the Decepticons is going down the highway and it like splits that truck in half. And mm -hmm. they actually had a truck rigged up to blow up in half. And then they CG'd the Decepticon in the middle of that. So he, he was still doing practical effects then. And that's why like the first Transformers film still looks amazing 15 years later because yeah. Yeah. of all that's that true. work that he did there. And here, I mean, one thing about Michael Bay, people like to rag on him a lot and I get it. He's not really a bad director he's done some he he tends to like the transformers movies the, my problem with them was that it was it felt like the same movie every time and it didn't feel like he yeah. was moving a there wasn't a good story going on and so it just was like okay i've seen this i've seen this four times now i don't need to see it again but visually he's always so good at knowing where to place the camera how much coverage to get right. to give something compelling to your eye and then on top of that action that you can follow, mm -hmm. like there's that car chase in the rock through the streets of San Francisco, but you're never, you, you always know where all the cars are in relation to each other. And there's never any points where you're like, wow, that just feels weirdly out of place. Like, why did he hit that? No, this is, you know, Mason's driving that Hummer and just, he's going to plow through anything in his path 
to like create chaos so he can get away, which is great. So uh, I was, uh, you might know this because this is, this is kind of your deal and you know, all these things. What, how, okay. What was that? I, I take it that they did some of those scenes in San Francisco. Like there's no way you recreate streets that, you know, do the, the dips and everything like, uh, yeah, and also so, they do any anything in Alcatraz, like actually shoot in Alcatraz, because that looked like Alcatraz. They yeah, they did. So, so this movie had a budget of about seventy-five million dollars, which is a big budget, especially in nineteen ninety-six. Yeah, um, because I think prior, I want to say Waterworld was one of the most expensive films ever made, and it was like a hundred million, and it was only a year or so earlier. So this was a big budget movie, but. Bay insisted they shoot on Alcatraz and mm-hmm. the producers and like the studio didn't want to. They're like, Oh, let's shoot it in LA. We can do, we can do some establishing shots, a little th- a couple of things, and then we'll fake it back in LA. And he's basically said like, no, this, this Island's too badass not to shoot on. So they shot, uh, they shot the movie on Alcatraz and it was still open to the public at the time while they were shooting. So there would be tourists like watching them make the movie on Alcatraz, cool. but they also, did shoot in um, San Francisco. And that was a problem uh, at one point, because as Michael Bay put it to get the permits to shut down, like a couple of blocks <laughs> of the street was like yeah. thousands of signatures and it was a pain. And if they went over time, people were complaining about it and it was expensive, but in the end it's worth it because I believe that it's San Francisco instead of being like, Oh no, oh, that's I- clearly Vancouver. Right. Or whatever, yeah. wherever. Very distinct. It, uh, I, I spent I've spent a lot of time in San Francisco for work events and some other things. And mm-hmm. I mean, going up and down the streets, like you don't recreate that. Like you, you if you've been there, you know that. And, and seeing Alcatraz yeah. uh, in person and uh, seeing that in the movie, I was like, I'm pretty sure that this is the place. Like they actually shot there. So that's that's cool that they were able to do that. It's it's like if you have a movie set in New York City and you don't and you shoot it in Toronto or you shoot it in Vancouver, or you shoot it in Chicago. Yeah. If you know the city, you know and you can tell. Like mm-hmm. I was having this conversation yeah. a few weeks ago because when I rec- when I covered a movie called The Fisher King with Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, um the movie is set in New York City and my guest that week, Adam Mock, lives in New York City. And he was saying like mm-hmm. one of the things he appreciated about that movie so much was they shot it in New York and he could tell he could, it just felt like New York the whole time instead of watching a New York movie. That's clearly shot in Toronto. Um, and yeah, if you, especially when you have a city as unique as San Francisco or, you know, one of those shoot it there, it just looks so much better. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was it? There was a, cause Michael Bay, obviously his second film. So he's still a young director. And uh, he's got a lot of ideas and the studio uh, was upset. I want to say it had something to do with part of that car chase. And they were like, the executives were going to show up to just read him the riot act. But Connery being a producer um, heard about the meeting and uh, he, cause he was an executive producer. And this is a, this is on the um, criterion DVD during the director's commentary. Bay was like, yeah, he, uh, he was preparing to leave the set to go to a meeting with the executives um, when Connery came up to him and uh, was wearing his golfing attire, right? He was getting ready to go golfing or something. He's like, Hey, where where are you going? And he told him and he's like, do you mind if I come along? And so he walks into the meeting with the, the uh, Disney executives 
and in walks Michael Bay and then Sean Connery walks in behind him and he said the meeting went a lot smoother because of him because <laughs> he came in and sat down and things went a lot better so like Connery when you have went to that like him, I mean you talk about his legend up to that yeah. point you know and, and, oh, and beyond yeah. the man died in uh just a few years ago right mm-hmm. like he died in 2020 I'm pretty sure from not not COVID but it was it was pneumonia or, or something to that effect yeah. um but I mean that that man has is a is a legend and God forbid anybody from uh you know going <laughs> going against his will on a movie like that where he knows his stuff and yep. yeah yeah I'm glad he went to bat because that um I, I think this also to your point about it being a young Michael Bay film this set the the a very clear tone for what his movies were going to be like yeah in, in the decades to come lots of explosions gratuitous action and there's there's a, just like how when you go see a Christopher Nolan movie you know it's a freaking Christopher Nolan movie when you see a um uh what what's the uh the the guy who did the new dune movie and he did oh uh, villeneuve yeah villeneuve like you know it's a villeneuve uh very clear this is he puts his stamp on it and it's not as elegant as those Mm -hmm. two but it is absolutely there's a place and an appreciation for that if you're an action movie fan and and it set a tone for a lot of directors uh, oh yeah to come so that i i think that he's he put his mark on the industry with that yeah like some directors can be you know ridley scott who can do a movie like alien, but also do a movie like Thelma and Louise 10 years later. And they're so they're very different. Spielberg's the same way. Spielberg can be, you usually kind of can feel a Spielberg movie, but like the man made Jurassic park and Schindler's list in the same year. Like talk about two ends of the spectrum. Some directors can do that. Other directors are Michael Bay or they're Tony Scott, Ridley's brother who does, Mm -hmm. I mean, Tony Scott's days of thunder, top gun, like, you know a Tony Scott movie when you see it because he's yep. just got that style. Michael Bay has that style and he's so good at it. I think when he is kind of uh, not restrained, I feel like he's better when he's not restrained by doing something that's trying to appeal to mass audiences and having a little more like Transformers is a big audience and an IP, but then he come, turns around and does something like Pain and Gain which is a smaller movie and it doesn't have the same fanfare. It's really a better movie. Um, mm-hmm. I hear, I haven't seen it yet, but I hear ambulance. The one that he put out just a year or two ago. Oh, is supposed yeah. to be really good. I heard that was good. Yeah. Um, uh, I've not you know. seen that one either. Maybe that's, uh, that, that, that's one to return for. It's yeah. a, um, yeah, it's good to see directors though, kind of not just pave a way, for a lot of other people and to 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 do things in similar veins and kind of set a precedent for what should be expected but it's good to see that they're kind of comfortable finding their tone with Mm -hmm. those movies too so i think that's a lot of fun yeah and like i say you bring in it helps when you can cast so well and they had i mean i mentioned um stuart wilson earlier who was general kramer but uh John Spencer's buddy uh, in this, the, who's credited as, or not credited, but his character was known as Chief Justice, is Philip Baker Hall, 
And Philip Baker mm. Hall is another actor you've seen in all sorts of stuff. Great character actor. You got uh, the chief of staff, the young guy, Hayden Sinclair, the one that gets uh, torn down by uh, Hummel was David Marshall mm -hmm. Grant. Um, even like Raymond Cruz, who at this point in his movie career, I only knew him as top knot because he always played like a soldier with a little top knot in his hair. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Obviously, if you are a Breaking Bad fan, you know who Raymond Cruz is. You've seen him. Mm -hmm. oh, um, yeah. Xander Berkeley showing up in the beginning of it. The, with that whole scene with the, the jar where they're diffusing that bomb at the beginning. Like every actor in that you've seen in movies. Uh, yeah. Somewhere. And like all these actors, and they're all uncredited. None of them, none of them were in yeah. the, the end credit. Right. That that's a good point. Uh, that scene, by the way, it uh, you go into a scene in the first twenty minutes of a movie, and you know that the guy's not going to die. But I don't know, man. I was pretty convinced <laughs> that he might have died if they weren't really careful. <laughs> I was genuinely, my heart was like pounding. That that's another good example of ways that that they learn to like build suspense and mm -hmm. make it very convincing all at the same time. Cause I just saw what happened to that dude with the boils all over his face. I don't right. want that to happen to my, to my uh, hero character here. Uh, so that was, that, that and, was a, that was a funny experience. Yeah. And even if it doesn't happen to cage, his, his trainee might not make it. Yeah. You don't know, like everything's fogging mm -hmm. up and uh, I loved him. Uh, Isherwood, mm. he was mm. hilarious. You, you yep. want me to stick this into my heart? Yeah, my He's just holding up that harpoon of a uh, yeah, atropine I, needle. I was, like, I was like, oh god, this is foreshadowing something. I think this is gotta be foreshadowing. I don't want to see that. It's gonna be terrible. <laughs> Which, by the way, when they do that at the end, uh, the joke is like when Cage stabs himself with the atropine needle, he's too low. Yeah, that's you look why, at okay. where it hit him. It's like it doesn't look like he's in his heart. Not in his ribs. Yeah. So okay. It was pretty bad. Um also uh unknown uh at the time, but uh, a very young Jim Caviezel was in this movie. Although you never see oh, really? you only see his eyes. He's the he's one of the two jet fighter jet fighter pilots that drops oh. the bombs at the end. If you really okay. if you ever go back, pay real close attention to the one of the pilots in the jet when he flips up his visor, you can if you mm. if you look, you can see it's his eyes. But you okay. wouldn't know it if you didn't, if you weren't told ahead of time. Yeah. Um, interesting. Although, interestingly, he's not one of the two pilots that they show. There's that one cutaway scene where it goes to like the hangar and the, the one general starts telling him about like, this will be your mission if we have to do it. You're on ground alert right now. And then they just have a shot of two pilots sitting there with the most square jawlines of anyone I've ever seen. And I know exactly. Like, what yeah. To the point where I, I grabbed a screen cap of it and I put it on Twitter because I was like, this movie is incredibly memorable, but this image is going to stick with me for a while now. Because for That's whatever reason, with those eyes. I mean, those were chins that would make Bruce Campbell jealous. Like, it was just crazy. <laughs> uh, but I just, I, there's so much about this movie that I really like. The music, too. This is Hans Zimmer. Um, and this is music that... Yes. You probably could could be humming along to all this music and having never seen this movie because it either got reused somewhere or like it influenced other music or Hans Zimmer did similar things down the line because like this music just lives rent free in my head. I hear yeah, it. It's all another the time. one of those. 
you hear it and, and I watch I looked it up at the beginning, like before I started watching, I was like, Oh, it's a Hans Zimmer score. Cool. Uh, another one of those very, very uh, not obvious in a bad way, but you're like, yeah, that's Hans Zimmer. Like how, you mm-hmm. know, something's John Williams or, or, yeah. you know, whatever it's, it is, it was him. And I, and I loved, uh, I love that contribution to the story. Yeah. Now here's a question for you. It's a, it's not a short movie. It's two hours and 16 minutes long. Did it feel long to you? Um, no, uh, it, it didn't feel long. I, I kind of, I remember it ending last night and being like, Oh my God, it's 10 30. Like I didn't realize <laughs> like I should probably be going to bed here. It was, uh, it, but it, but not in a bad way. It was, it, it was time well spent and it also kind of flew by, you know? Yeah. It's paced really well. And that yeah. I think for as much, and they throw a lot of story at you because we get time with Stanley at home and at his job and we meet, you know, the general and his men and there's all this setup. Like they don't get to the Island till an hour into the movie. Yeah. Where the seal team actually gets there. But because like everything's just so well paced and put together and the dialogue is really snappy um, that it never drags. There's never that point where you're like, well, they could cut this scene. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I never feel that way. Like there might be people that say like, well, you could cut the scene where he's in the, the jar at the beginning. But I don't think so, because you need to know how good he is under pressure, because for him yeah. to not be a field agent. It's a, it's like he basically has to call back to that, like no, I'm good at a thing here and I can yeah. translate that. And cause you see him grow his confidence as they're on the yeah. Island more and more. Like you have the- to, and you have to make that full circle. Like he, mm-hmm. he, uh, you have to have appreciation just like the syringe at the beginning, um, yep. building the anticipation of, of the, the girlfriend and, and all that stuff. You have to put some stakes in, um, and, but they did it in a really meaningful way. And, and it really wasn't, until i mean gosh probably 45 minutes into the movie that you don't even see in like sean connery until he shows up right? yeah he's something like 20 25 or 30 minutes or something um oh is it that, I think. it felt it felt like there was a lot but, of story beforehand because i was like wow i i feel like there i i i was just i honestly was anticipating i was like okay i know sean connery's in this movie is he already on the island because i feel like they should be talking about sean connery like is he in one of those like are they gonna zoom in in a cell and in a dark corner is (laughs) he's already there yep (laughs) he's already there plotting his revenge you know something like that i just so yeah we spent we spent a good amount of time with Hummel and then there's the hole where they steal the rockets. And then we meet Stanley and we meet his girlfriend, Vanessa Marcel. This was her first film. And it was funny cause I'm watching it this time and I'm thinking, Oh, are we doing the classic Hollywood thing of like, she's way younger than him. And because like, she just looks like a baby in this. And yeah. you mentioned how young Nick Cage looks in it, but I'm still sitting here thinking like, yeah, but he's probably like late thirties and she's like early to mid twenties. No, they're only four years difference. So I kind of appreciate right. that from the movie. Um, but yeah. like we get time with them so you can, so it makes you care about the character of Stanley because he actually has a home life that isn't super simple either. Like, he's going to be a dad, but he wasn't prepared for that. Those, those uh, are some great scenes too. And some great yes. like cageisms. 
yeah his whole his whole realize realization of like oh like and he had that whole speech about like god forbid anybody bring a kid into this world hey i'm pregnant (laughs) oh okay (laughs) i almost used that as the opening for the for the show tonight was that exchange Uh, i did capture most of that (laughs) and it was hilarious because it's just like the i'm pregnant i'm sorry like, wait, yeah. hold on. Say that. Say that in my good ear, please. Yeah. Um, right. There was so many moments like that where she comes home and he's sitting there like with the guitar. And I'm not sure if he's supposed to be naked with the guitar, or just like sitting in his underwear. But like, yeah, I took half a day off, have a little wine, you know, almost died. No big deal. Yeah. I, I, uh, I like to imagine he was probably naked on that, on that chair. Imagining, uh, that, uh, the chaos that is nick cage (laughs) probably probably you know it's it's just speaking of um speaking of chaos is nick cage just in that last scene one of the things that i loved in that last scene was uh because raising arizona is like one of my favorite nick cage movies of all time and Mm -hmm. that felt very raising arizona where they they go and steal the uh the the photo you know like the photo negatives oh yeah you know what i'm talking about at the very very just, they they find the microfilm. Yeah, he's like the way he's dressed and mm-hmm. scattered, and like you hear yelling, and he's running, and it's in the desert, and and he's like sliding over the car, and I'm like, oh man, this is, feels like raising Arizona, and it, it was it, it was felt good. full circle for me as Nick, Nick Cage, and it was fan. cool to yeah. see him and William Forsythe together because I think that was the first time they had worked together since raising Arizona, because the oh wow the, the guy with the mustache, the West yeah. West yeah. Coast director, yep. he was in raising Arizona. If you remember, he was the, uh, yeah. with John Goodman. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together there. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. It's one of those. I, I know, I always remember he's in raising Arizona, but I, this movie has such an imprint on me that that's what I think of. Like when, if I'm talking with friends think- of mine and the name William Forsyth comes up as an actor somewhere like you, cause they've seen him in something. All I picture is him in a black suit with that, that mustache that he had in this movie. Right. Because oh, like funny. it's just it's iconic. It's such a cop mustache. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's such a he he fills that role very well. He was very good. He is, and he's one of those actors. I feel like, and I've I've mentioned this a lot recently, but there are certain actors that when you see them in a movie, you're almost waiting for them to turn heel and and go yeah. bad. And like Forsyth is one of those. It's that gravelly voice, and he can genuinely he can give you that look. That. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're just waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Um, what was the what was the thing that he said? Oh, well, actually it was your it was your intro sound. That whole thing of like, oh you've never been in have you been in combat? Oh, the combat. And I, yeah. and I remember the whole um bathroom scene where where mm-hmm. uh, Goodspeed's throwing up and <laughs> totally like loops in his stomach and everything. And he's telling him like, get it together, I'm gonna have a kid get your head out of your, out of your ass. Like, you know, it was just, yep. it was, Oh yeah. It was, Oh, I, I, very I caught some audio and some of it includes that because this movie is quoted. Like I quote this movie in a lot of ways that, and it's always like the deep cut quotes. It's like the, you know, I drive a Volvo, a beige one. Like you can't get any more boring <laughs> than a beige Volvo. Um, which is why when I play like Forza horizon, I will inevitably get the Volvo wagon and paint it beige because I have to. Um, yeah. but even stuff like, uh, my stomach's doing hula hoops around my ass. 
Yes. If I love I, that. Whenever, that was, that whenever was I get yeah. sick. Yeah. yeah. Whenever I get sick. And that those are things Cage made up on the spot. You know it. Like no writer is going to write those words in that order. It's just mm-hmm. something that he That's thought of. <laughs> and uh, the stuff in the cells is even better. And I'll save that for when I play those because it's just too good. But when, when yeah. Connery's making his little rope out of the mattress to, to open up the doors, oh, I just love. Yeah, yeah. That's as close as oh, we yeah, get to like the. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. That's like as close as we get to the full cage. He never goes a full cage freak out, yeah. but he has a couple of moments like that. Yeah, but yeah, this is a, a character of... that didn't need it. No, he, he did. He did something. And I actually wrote it in my notes, um, I, but I, I don't think I actually said the exact moment. But my my notes said, um, let me see. Uh, oh, 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 it was it was actually when he was sitting on the couch playing naked. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And he does this. He did this thing where he 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 hits a guitar string. He plucks it. And I was like, that's very Nick Cage. Like that, yeah. the way because he, he uh, winced it with his face and mm-hmm. bent the string in a really terrible way. Yeah. Out of the blue as he's <laughs> retelling his story. I was like, that's very Nick Cage. Yeah. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this for me is like a top three Nicolas Cage movie. And I love Cage movies. There's so many of them that I can watch over and over again. But this is one of those that when people say, do you have a favorite Nick Cage movie? The Rock is one of the first three titles that I give. I'd agree. Because it's, a, it's a high for me. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's got everything I want in a fun, like just dumb action movie that's made better by all these performances in it because you care about Ed Harris and his character, mm-hmm. even though he's very one note in terms of the writing, the performance gives him so much nuance. Like that whole, that whole scene in the shower room when they when they come in when the marines or the navy seals come into the shower room and then the marines have the elevated position on them that exchange between ed harris and michael bean is so good and it wouldn't be Nobody as memorable yeah. yeah it would not be as memorable if it was lesser actors doing that yeah yeah um, i would agree like ed agree. harris has this ability to yell too that's very gene hackman like like there's yeah that's another thing certain actors hackman can yell like no one else um harris can do that and it's it's weird because he's not like a big imposing guy especially when you have him standing next to six foot four david morse and six foot five tony todd like ed harris yeah. looks like he's you know the the little brother but mm-hmm. he has a he has a big presence to him his uh he, that man has not well i don't want to say he's not aged because like i mean you could tell he's aged but having just watched like a lot of westworld and seeing him in that and then watching mm. him here i'm it, it's it's like the man has aged very gracefully into his elder yes. years oh, uh, yeah. and uh still holds that very imposing look you know that like what you're saying that piercing eyes, the way he's able to kind of command a room and yep. command, uh, literally command people. Um, mm-hmm. j- he's still got it. It's pretty, it's wild. the, yeah, it's the, like the steely eyes, those blue eyes yeah. can do that. Paul Newman had that right. Um, yeah. Neil McDonough has that with those piercing eyes that, that he has, like, it's just certain actors have that too. Plus yeah. I love that he's, you know, he's, the general he's the top dog he is everybody's supposed to look up to him but when the captain calls him on the bluff at the end 
there's that time where he tells him to stand down and then he says stand down again but that second time he says it his voice cracks yeah and i liked that because that was something it's a subtle thing to do like in terms of we're going to put this in here but it kind of makes the character just that more fleshed out because he Mm -hmm. is cracking a little bit under that pressure i have a um my, so we have a, a pool table just here in our basement, and yeah. I have a uh, a picture of the hustler. I've got you know Jackie Gleason, oh, nice. Paul Newman uh, doing their like you know they're they're at the pool table, and a signed check from Paul Newman uh, in the case of the of the picture, and it's 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 his it's a check written by him for like sixty two dollars to you know somebody, and uh, but it's a signed Paul Newman check. It's kind of cool. cool. Little, yeah. little movie memorabilia sitting back. That, there. That's the kind of movie memorabilia I would love to have hanging somewhere. Like that's that's such a cool thing. Um, I'll send you a picture uh, when we're yes. whenever we're yeah at some point. Uh, so there's some there's some really in. good clips in this movie that I got to play a few of. Yes, we can't. I mean, we mentioned uh, Isherwood who has that great line when Stanley calls him later. It's like, yeah, I'm getting out of this government shithole. I'm going to go design roach motels for yeah. Orkin. <laughs> That's so good. Like what, where did that come from? <laughs> I heard that and I was, I was like, what? <laughs> it was just kind of one of those that t- it took me back. But, uh, but it was, it was this when they're in. Cause he's, I mean, he's an idiot for picking up that doll in a box that they're supposed to be. Oh, doing stuff and he picked up the doll and starts playing with him like ah, oh. i mean the fr- right it makes you it just angers you right because you're like this guy's gonna kill them he's gonna kill all of them because he was a dumb yeah. but <laughs> then he's got the atropine needle and he just says Look, how big is this shit? you want me to stick this into my heart are you nuts <laughs> and the tension there like that hans zimmer music is just yeah. pounding and I'm telling you, I, I, was, I was genuinely scared during that part and again, Michael Bay can take something like a bunch of guys in a room who are barely moving and make it dynamic because he's spinning yeah. the camera on. He's got coverage on everybody. Um, let's see. Oh, when they, okay. This is the White House Chief of Staff and he's uh, reading off General Hummel's record, his his uh, military service record. And I just love the this whole exchange. Three tours in Vietnam, Panama, Grenada, Desert Storm, three Purple Hearts, two Silver Stars, and the Congressional Medal of Jesus. This man is a hero. Well, I think legend might be a better description, Mr. Sinclair. <laughs> and I had to slide in Stuart Wilson at the end there because, like, I just love that. Uh, no, legend is better. Just <laughs> I feel like they could have been like Anna Partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> just about. <laughs> So for that, and then the next, then he, when he gets to actually talk to this guy, and Hummel is just like, "You aren't old enough to talk. Shut up and let the adults talk." Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, Michael Bean, being Michael Bean, uh, who I just—he's always—he—he he just makes a small part like this so much better. When uh, they're they're looking over the blueprints of the tunnels, and he's trying to explain, they're like, "Well, what are the tunnels like?" And he just says, "Under there is a maze of shit." Yeah, <laughs> such a good delivery. I love that. Um, I love that, uh, that whole part where because he, he was like, I don't know, it's all up here. Like, you got to send me in. Mm-hmm. I got to, I got to see it. What do you mean? I'm yeah. not going to be able to. See it. And that that whole uh, exchange 
was was very good. That was very good. And then when they get ready to go, and he's giving them their last mission briefing, and he looks to Lieutenant Shepard, and he just tells him, All right, listen up. Mr. Mason will run point for us. Lieutenant Shepard will be attached to his hip. You breathe, he breathes with you. You piss, he helps. Understood? Like, that's such a <laughs> movie line, and I love it. Yeah, that is. Because it's just so cheesy, but it's great. Um, speaking of uh, that, um, Philip Baker Hall talking about John, John Mason being, you know, in his 60s. 30 years ago, he was a highly trained SAS operative. He is my age now, for Christ's sake. I have to get up three times a night to take a piss. <laughs> it's such a it's like, it's Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's doing it for me. Um, okay. You, are you familiar with the Michael Bay shot? If I say that, do you know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about where it goes, and then another one, and then, and then the guy gets impaled by the, the, the spear? Uh, well, there's that one. Um, okay. But specifically, it's the low angle circular shot where somebody stands up in the middle of it. He does it in Bad Boys and Bad Boys oh, 2 in this. Yeah. What and like, it's a it thing. So it's right after um, Cage crashes the Ferrari and the, the streetcars coming oh, at him. Yes. Yep. And he, yep. he I, I love that because he pulls out the gun and shoots the airbag. So he can get out of the car. Yes. Yeah. And he gets yep. out of the car and then there's that, that low angle shot and it's spit. It's spinning around him and, and Nicholas cage stands up into the frame and he kind of looks off and then the kid rolls up on the motorcycle and, uh, hey, man. <laughs> just up your Ferrari. No, no, it's not mine. It's not mine. <laughs> yeah. And you hear the, you hear the trolley. You hear the in the background. <laughs> That's that's the what makes that work so much better is that it's that good. dramatic moment, and then there's just the dude screaming in the background about how the guy's not safe anywhere. That's so good. Um, some Oldness some Sean Connery. I thought I swear to yeah. God, I thought that <laughs> I had no idea. I I don't understand it. I don't understand yeah. why I thought that. I don't either. Um, to be honest, <laughs> uh, there was there you talked about the chemistry of Connery and Nick cage and like this, this little exchange here encapsulates it. It's right after they've taken out the two guys in the morgue, they drop the air conditioner on the one dude's head. Oh yeah. That was and Stanley's Stanley's working on the, the rocket. Right. And he, and he, then this happens. You've been around a lot of corpses. Is that normal? Yeah. Well, the feet thing. Yeah. The feet thing. Yeah. That happens. I'm having kind of a hard time concentrating. Can you do something about it? Like what? Kill him again? <laughs> oh gosh! I just, so good. Oh, and by the way, another great example of the practical effect in, in the shots leading up to it crushing the dude. And that, yeah. that whole thing, where even leading up, you're you see it hanging there, and you could, and you're following Sean Connery's, you know, Mason's eyes as he's looking at. You're like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, let's do that. Let's crush him with it. And that and, was very yeah. Fun. And again, that's where I, I mentioned like Michael Bay is so good at directing action and and getting you to look at things like because Mason shoots low, takes the guy's feet out. So he falls mm -hmm. over. And then you get that up shot where you're looking down at him. And the first thing you see is just the guy laying there. 
And then your eye is suddenly drawn to the foreground of that shot. And it's the big air conditioner sitting there. And you see Mason look over and you've just seen it from that angle. So now when he looks over and is looking up, you immediately know what he's thinking. And you're like, oh, I know how this is going to play out. And it's going to be brutal. And it was. he's like, (laughs) he does, the the camera work is great because he does these setup shots where before any... Mm -hmm any of the action happens there's maybe three seconds of this back and forth and like like camera angle down camera angle up catch his eyes see him look up and then you just looked up and then it's like bring it back and then it and then it unfolds uh and it's a great way of bringing not not forcing um the 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 viewer to think one way or another but it's like got it's like almost like you're holding their hand like they're like following you as you as you as, as he's shooting the shot, it's a, it's a really mm-hmm. cool way to kind of bring the viewer along uh, in, yeah. in those moments where things are happening so quick in an action scene. I thought that that was, it's very cool. Yeah. For a movie that had an average shot length of like 2.6 seconds. Yeah. So you think about that in a two hour and 16 minute movie, how many cuts and shots there are. And for him to be able to like, guide you through these action sequences and you know where everyone is like you could you could take and and draw a map of an of overhead view and map out where everybody is and it all makes sense nobody's ever overlapping or like appearing in a spot that makes no sense to them so i just love that and i appreciate that in an action director because some directors get lost i've watched movies where i'm just like i don't know what's happening anymore there's just movements and people shooting yep um I love right before this clip that I'm going to play is they've just entered Alcatraz and it's the shot and it's Sean Connery's smile because you can tell he's just having a good time. And, and Cage says, well, you seem to be enjoying yourself. Yeah. And, and uh, his response. Well, it's certainly more enjoyable than my average day. Reading philosophy, avoiding gang rape in the washrooms. Though it's less of a problem these days. Maybe I'm losing my sex appeal. <laughs> no mr it's just not you. by the way uh i was gonna say at the beginning of the the show we should have done a drinking game for take a shot every time somebody does a bad sean connery uh accent we've done really well not overdoing that and also had i mentioned that at the beginning of the show we might kill people so yeah well there um, you go you get take, uh, take two shots right there because i did two there you go um i also just loved this line Oh, I have a unique knowledge of this prison facility. I was uh, formerly a guest here. I don't know. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. It's just the way he says it. You can just you can hear the smirk in his mm-hmm. in his voice. Um, he had the same smirk. It, it, uh, I remember him ro- rolling through the fire, you know, to let yes. them into that door. Um, which the whole he's like, you know, he's like he memorized the whole thing. At what point when he was trying to leave, was he trying to roll through that? Did he because he opened the door from the side that he was coming out of? So that was the thing people have said. And the the logic way you can hand wave that away is like that door was probably guarded or, ah, uh, okay. you know, some that was inaccessible to him. So he didn't have a choice. But also Michael Bay even said, like, yeah, all the boilers were active and stuff on Alcatraz, yet it hasn't been active for like 30-something years. He goes, but it does look pretty cool, doesn't it? So <laughs> you know, he just sort of like... Yeah. And when those questions yeah. come up, you have to be like, hey, is it is it fun? All right, yeah, cool. Let's, yeah. let's let it solve. Rule of cool, right? I was, uh, it, yeah, oh, totally. And, but I watched it. I remember thinking like, 
am I, am I missing something? And, uh, you know, the more I thought about it, I'm just like, all right, but whatever. That was a cool scene. Uh, very, it stressed me out a lot though, from a claustrophobia perspective, <laughs> not a fun oh, thing. Yeah. Ugh. No. Um, no. And, you know, suspension of disbelief is a big thing in movies. And like, I, I can suspend disbelief a lot in movies. I do reach a breaking point. Like Steven Summers is a director. He did the mummy and the mummy returns um, with Brendan Fraser, who is able to do some of those things. There's a, there was a great commentary track on the first mummy movie where it's the, the shootout on the boat. And he's like, you should always have two guns in the shootout. Like if you could, if you could hold three, it would be better. Right. But you can't. So two is kind of the max that you can do. And he would talk <laughs> about stuff like this. And like, there's a scene in um, the mummy returns where Fraser is running and uh, the sun is coming up and he's got to get to like a pyramid before the sun hits it. And in his commentary track, he was talking about, look, I understand that like logically the speed of light is faster than Brendan Fraser. <laughs> and he can't run faster than that. But if I need Brendan Fraser to outrun the sun, then Brendan Fraser can outrun the sun. Okay. That's just, it's Stephen Summers physics. It's my movie. It's how it goes. And like, I can appreciate that. Now he did lose me in his GI Joe movie when he made a giant uh, block of ice explode into smaller pieces and then sink. And I was like, oh, we've taken it a step too far, Stephen. I can't, I can't get behind that one, but that's where, you know, Going under the boilers in this, I'm just like, nah, it's fine. Who cares? It's so, fine. The, so the boilers were on. No big deal. It looks That's awesome. Great. It's such yeah. a cool look. I thought it was, it was so fun. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's see. Oh, uh, so I mentioned how like early Sean Connery was kind of, he was a little snarky. And uh, I love when they, uh, they say they need his help on something. This is when um, Paxton, William Forsythe's character, oh, is yeah. interrogating him mm -hmm. the first time. And he comes back with, I've been in jail longer than Nelson Mandela, so maybe you want me to run for president. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was great. And that one was good. And then, <laughs> okay, so the, the one thing I think that is probably, it's still funny, but it's aged the worst in the movie is the barber, the stylist. Uh, oh, that yeah. Comes up to cut oh, his hair. That was just a, like, nobody knew how to write queer characters in the nineties. So they yeah. ended up being jokes and being jokes. It's yeah. It was that, so, that, that actor, that actor I have seen in other things and he, he is actually a pretty good actor and he was just doing what they asked yeah. him to do here. Is he, um, he's a, uh, yeah, it was like, I, I, I've seen him in other things. Like I didn't actually take time to look, has he been in stuff recently? But like, I've, I've recognized his face. I can't think of anything recently. He was in a um, a uh, sitcom for a long time called like Boston Common, I think. Um, Tiffany Clark. That's the but, guy. Boston Common. Yes, dear soul man. Yeah, yes, dear. That was the other one. Um, but he, uh, the, the the scene with him is okay. But what I love is when Womack is going over all his gear, and he's like telling him, you know, yeah, you can have the trimmer. That's fine, but no scissors. With scissors, this man could kill you. Yeah. And uh, it's just Sean Connery again. I can't cut anyone's balls off with a trimmer now, can I? <laughs> I want to know how many takes of that they did. How many times did they get Sean Connery to say, cut somebody's balls off? That's, balls That's what I want to know. Take and then, shot. of course, he uh, he steals the Hummer, right? Um, and 
he's driving it through San Francisco when the German guy who owns it calls the car phone and he picks it up and yeah. you just get Hello? I'm only bordering your Humvee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> crashed it right into those yeah. cars. That, that was where yes. he, uh, he hit the cars into the electric pole and it fell over, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. I was, I was uh, like, I was, I was like, damn, that they did not like, uh, again, suspension of, you know, disbelief. He, uh, the way he hit those cars, you see the front of the Humvee, like, you know, kind of cave in at that moment. And then, mm-hmm. and then it pans to another shot really quick. And then it pans back of him driving off towards the camera. The front of that Humvee is pristine, bro. It was, it, oh, like, yeah. it didn't hit nothing. And I was just like, oh, the, okay. They I did see. that with the Ferrari too. The Ferrari hits all those um, parking meters. And like the first parking meter he hits smashes the windshield of the Ferrari. And you see it like all spider webbed. Yeah. And then they cut away and they come back and it's fine. So, yeah, that definitely happened a couple of times. Moving magic, as they say. Yep. Uh, a little bit of Nick Cage. So, again, he doesn't swear, right? So when he finally catches up with John at the Palace of Fine Arts and they're walking away from his daughter, who played by Claire Forlani, again, adds a lot to a very small you know, amount of screen time. Yeah. Um, but as they're walking away and he's like, why don't we cut the chit chat? I just love this. What do you say we cut the chit chat a hole? Mm-hmm. He's still so he, that's calling him that's an a hole. Really, I'm I'm glad that you played that because I wasn't sure if that was just an <laughs> FX edit. By the way, <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, uh, I I couldn't tell if if he dubbed chit chat with like the s word or something. Oh um, yeah, that that the way that it was edited, I I was questioning some of those things. So I'm glad that I you know all right. Good to know. Yeah, no, that was that was exactly how it was in the movie. There was also, um, I got a bunch of Cage. Like his stuff, again, at the house with his girlfriend, with the, um, with uh, Carla is his girlfriend's name. Mm-hmm. Um, like this. I meant it at the time. Stanley, at the time, you said it seven and a half seconds ago. Well, gosh, kind of a lot's happened since then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot has happened in those. (laughs) To be fair. Um, Yep, I use this a lot. I mean it, honey. The world is being FedExed to hell on a handcart. Like when things are going wrong, (laughs) it's just been FedExed to hell on a handcart. I'd never heard that phrase before, but. That's got to be like a Nick Cage. Oh, it has to. uh, Has to be. Like, because who says that? Nick Cage does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Nick Cage, and and because of that, I do. Um, yeah, when he's pulling the stuff out of the box at the beginning. Stone Age cave girls in the raw, kinky. <laughs> <laughs> or like this, this was definitely uh, I feel like was a Nick Cage, you know, ad lib. Look, I just stole a kid's motorcycle. I'm not really feeling too good about it. Okay, Wolfram, got it. <laughs> because it's just so <laughs> rapid fire, and like the. <sighs> He just has this way about delivering stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, see. those boxy cell phones, man. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Wow. Um, Car phone. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Big, the, the, you know, because you know that phone in the Humvee, in the Hummer, was attached to, like, a giant bag. Oh, it had like to a, be. Had to be. Just an attache case-sized battery. Um, 
Let's see. Shame on them. This was a good one. Shame on them. Very I just want that for my soundboard. That is. Shame, that is. Yes. Add that to the soundboard. Um, oh, uh, this is when he's uh, when the phone rings while he and uh, Carla are uh, in flagrante. Um, because again, this is this total cage thing. Yep. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. He's like trying to hold his concentration and it's just not working. And her, her response of like, he was like, okay, I'll be, you know, 10 minutes. I'll be down in 10 minutes. Like hell you will. Yeah. And her, and her response after that is like, I'm Catholic, I'm pregnant and I'm unwed. It's like, oh boy. Yeah. Nope. Those are. Oh, such a good um, so this one's a little long, but it's worth it. This is this is our, uh, I think, our last one. <clears throat> How, in the name of Zeus's butthole, did you get out of your cell? I only ask because in our current situation, well, it could prove to be useful information. Maybe. <laughs> that is. That was the same same moment where he he builds the blanket bit yeah. to, to throw. Yeah. To open the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And so now forever I will have in the name of Zeus's butthole. <laughs> you could even just take the last little butthole little thing. And you know, I, I probably will shorten it to that, to be honest. Yeah. Could be. Could be because uh, it's just, it's just so good. This movie yeah. is just, it's just '90s cheese in the perfect way, and this when when I got a hold of you and you said you hadn't seen The Rock, this was the perfect thing to end this great. year's Cage Fest on because it is one of my favorites, and I get to show it to a great friend of mine. You get to see this for the first time. If you get a chance, sometime um, find the Criterion Collection like DVD of it. It's not on streaming services, and it's been a weird one where it like didn't show up for a long time. I ended up getting it from my library um, a while Ooh, back. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, and it, it might even be on the library streaming service Hoopla. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but oh, if you've got a library yeah. card, there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff. But it's just one of those movies that like I can. It's like a comfort film for me. I can mm. just go back to this anytime, and I never get tired of it. It's like. Uh, you know, this movie, Hot Fuzz is one of those that I can just watch mm-hmm. anytime and I just enjoy it because they know what they are. Like, yep. it's a, this isn't a parody, but it's like, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's made so earnestly. Yes. Like, everybody yep. that's being serious is going for it. And then there's those moments of levity sprinkled in yep. there that just work and they make it rewatchable too. For sure. So I think that this is a, this is quintessential. Like you said, it's quintessential 90s action, quintessential Nick Cage at a, at a young age. And also, uh, I don't want to say it's quintessential Nick Cage. Actually, I kind of take that back because he doesn't go full on Nick Cage that you see in other, you know, movies and stuff. But it is. But he does enough of it for for you to be like, yeah, this is a really good like nick cage movie i think this is up there in my top three as well but i think that on top of that when you watch a movie like this and you see what michael bay did in the 90s it gives you 
more appreciation for me personally, mm-hmm. at least it gave me a lot more appreciation for the way that action movies uh, were portrayed through the early two thousands and so on. And a lot of really good movies that, that came out, especially by him. Um, yeah. Kind of after that, it, it, it's solid, solid, solid choice. And so thank you for bringing, uh, for, for, for bringing it to my attention because otherwise I would have probably let it, simmer for forever longer yeah it's it's one of those where you just you can see its influence on so many action movies so i'm glad that you got to see this and maybe now you know if there's other kind of of this era films that you haven't seen stuff like if you like this you'll probably like something like no escape you'll love those kind of lower or kind of mid to upper budget but r-rated action movies that just go for it they they just make choices and dive in and this is one yep. of them, and it's just so good. So it, this is, it's been great. It's been too long since you were on. We I think we figured it was like three years ago that you were Gosh, last yeah, on, maybe. which is just crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So I mean, there, there was, are plenty of other movies I haven't seen, so, you know, we can, we can do it again. Yeah. Well, it was great having you on, as always. It's always fun. We don't get to talk enough anymore. So uh, we did, although we did play some Baldur's Gate 3 recently together, which was yeah. fun. Do some more of that. That was a, that's a good game there, right there. Um, are you getting back into streaming at all? You, you know, I, I, am, uh, you know, I'm kind of, kind of giving it some thought. We, uh, I am, uh, planning on doing something, you know, every year I try to do uh stuff for extra life. It's a great organization mm-hmm. that helps, um, raise money for kids, um, sick kids. Uh, and, uh, every year around Halloween and into the holiday season, I, I try to raise money. Uh, every year I've raised at least $2,000, which is pretty cool. And uh, I was thinking, you know, it might be pretty cool to try to get back into doing something like that, especially with scary game season coming back. And that's a that's a big yeah. uh, uh, I'm a big fan of scary games. Um, so so very likely that something's going to happen. I don't want to promise anything yet. I got to kind of make sure schedules and kids schedules and uh, everything aligns because the world is crazy these days. But. It has been top of mind for me. Yeah. So we'll, we shall see. Stay tuned. Excellent. Well, if you do, let me know, and I will be sure to promote it here and let people know when they can watch it, where they can see it, and where they can donate to, because Extra Life is a great organization. And I've had a lot of fun doing those games with you in the past and doing stuff for them in the past as well. So uh, definitely. But thank you so much for being here. This was just great. Uh, it, it's Thanks been, for having it me. It's been far too well, long. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I do this show uh, weekly, uh, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis on Sunday nights. You can watch the live stream. If you can't make the live stream, uh, it is available as a podcast on Wednesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. Also on YouTube as a podcast, you can go to youtube.com slash at TV's Travis and catch it there. Um, as always, uh, subscribe and, and follows and stuff on there is great. Um, I am on all the social networks as TV's Travis and literally like all of them, I think. I opened up a, a web browser and like did tabs for, and I had five or six different, I'm like, geez, I have way too many at this point, but you know, you got to get your name, you got to get your name down yep. on all of those. So, um, or you can just go to tvstravis.com. Uh, that has links to merchandise. It has links to the Patreon for this show where you can, uh, support for as little as a dollar an episode, get things like, uh, the monthly movie catch up nights where I go back through with patrons we watch movies from the Wait You Haven't Seen back catalog and catch people up on them. Uh, we got one coming up this week doing, because it's August, Nick Cage, Vampire's Kiss. 
So patrons nice. are going to get to watch that this coming, coming up uh, Thursday, August 31st is when that is going to be. So I do those once a month. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, Alex, where can people find you if you post anything online? Yeah, yeah. I'm everywhere at Alex Albisu. Last name is spelled A-L-B-I-S-U. Uh, and uh, I have a show called The Dad Chronicle. All those episodes are still up. Um, and it's kind of my way of giving back to the world. Travis was on it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a way of giving back to the world of parenting. We talk to dads from around the world about their experiences uh, as a parent and uh, to share those perspectives, uh, as well as parenting experts and doctors and other folks who um, have a lot of good information to help empower parents to do uh, their best work. So uh, the dad chronicle.com is an, is another place that you can go. Um, everything that I do is really found over at incastmedianetwork.com. That's my website, my, uh, my, my company. So feel free to follow that um, and stay tuned for anything coming up um, on the socials at Alex. I'll be soon. Excellent. Excellent. Well, once again, thank you. And just, you know, for everybody, get out or stay in, enjoy your movies. And uh, just remember that uh, this has been way See you. swam this channel I was your age so I'm fucked either way Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs>